You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Today, in chapter 28, we're coming towards the end of this book, coming towards the uh, culmination of this story, really, although David uh, in 2 Samuel uh, has a long reign uh, as king. But we're coming to the end of Saul's life. And Saul, as you may uh, have picked up in the, in the recent weeks, was a successful king for many years. And then uh, through acts of disobedience to God, um, really his life started to get a bit messy. He's been um, pursuing David for a number of years, looking to kill David, uh, who he saw as a, a contender for the throne. And uh, last week we saw how David, after years of, um, of running from uh, Saul, had kind of had come to the end of himself and ended up defecting to the Philistines. It was a very dark moment for him uh, going over to the enemy camp. And today, uh, it's, dare I say, it's even worse for Saul. Uh, his situation has got really, really dire. And uh, we're going uh, to read a little bit about his story. So uh, chapter 28, verses 4 to 11. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, you need to know just before this passage that uh, we've read that Saul has kicked out all of the mediums, those that supposedly contact the dead. He's kicked them out of the land. It was done um, after Samuel, the prophet, who was a bit of a spiritual father to the nation. After Samuel had died, um, Saul, uh, in his honor, really, it seems, kicked out all of the mediums uh, from the land. Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore as... Swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. So Saul is in a moment of desperation. The Philistines are camped against him and they have pulled all of their armies together. This is a really, really big force that have come up against Israel. And Saul is thinking, we are done for. We are in big, big trouble here. And in his moment of desperation, he just needs reassurance. He needs it quickly. But we see tragically that he sought reassurance from the wrong place. Uh, Just as David last week had crumbled under pressure, had gone over to the Philistines, uh, Saul's now under great pressure. And he's he's seeking reassurance from the same guy who at times during his reign has been a support. But the big problem is that this guy is dead. He's seeking reassurance from a dead guy. He's seeking reassurance from Samuel. And Samuel had once prophesied great things over Saul. And Saul had, for many years, done great things, had been a good king. But now Samuel has gone, and Saul is contacting a dead guy. Now, if that wasn't stupid enough, 
uh, this dead guy had also, before he had died, said to Saul, your, your, your reign is not going to last much longer. You're going to be replaced as king. So if it wasn't stupid enough to contact a dead guy uh, that was a blatant um, breaking of God's law, he was contacting a dead guy who had already said to him uh, before he had died, your reign's going to come to an end. David, uh, God has got another king who's going to come, and we know that to be uh, David. So Saul is doing a very, very stupid thing in his search for reassurance in numerous places uh, in God's law. Uh, contacting the dead via mediums and so on was, was strictly, strictly um, uh, out of bounds. So we see uh, how this goes for Saul. It doesn't end very well for him. So he said, bring up Samuel for me. We're going to read on verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. There's three things I want to touch on today. Firstly, a word about the Bible, and then a couple of things I want to draw out of this passage uh, for us and for our encouragement and for our warning. Firstly, as I say, a word on the Bible. If you are engaging in conversation with people who don't uh, believe in uh, Christianity, who don't believe in Jesus, who are skeptical about uh, faith, then you will probably encounter uh, people who will try to undermine what the Bible says. That will be oftentimes a, a first port of call. How can you believe this book that is full of very bizarre stories that we've just read, of uh, fairy tales, of historical inaccuracies, of contradictions and so on? That will often be uh, people's kind you know, the, the first place they go when they're trying to uh, suggest that actually what you believe in is not true. How can you trust the Bible will be the way that people, maybe you're here this morning, and that's maybe your uh, viewpoint. You might be thinking, how, how are these people uh, opening up this ancient book and trying to uh, let it change their lives today when it's just full of inaccuracies and weird things and weird stories and uh, things that just today don't make any sense? Well, we really believe that when interpreted correctly, this book is true in all it affirms. 
That's, it's important to understand that we have to interpret it correctly. We have to look into its context. We have to study hard sometimes with some of the things that are not clear in here. Sometimes we think, mm, okay, we have to kind of look elsewhere in the Scriptures to bring light to that passage. But when, we, when this is interpreted correctly, this book is true in all it affirms. And not only is it true, but actually it has truth that changes our lives. Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we believe that in this book there is truth that is uh, it's, it's applicable to our lives and it changes us. It brings life-giving truth. It says of itself, the Bible it, it says of itself, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for a correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So even this bizarre story about Saul and the medium who he'd banned from the land and he'd gone to for reassurance to try and conjure up this, uh, this dead guy to get a message from him, even this story that is really bizarre is useful for correcting us, for training us, for equipping us to make us competent for every good work. Now, I kind of dropped myself in it when I was planning this series, because as we were putting this series together, I thought this was going to be Tim Virgo's message. And then we swapped some weeks around, and it ended up in my lap. And I thought, what have I done? And I've wrestled with this passage this week, saying, how is this applicable to our lives today? This is a very bizarre story. And it's tempting, isn't it, to just sort of skip over it. It's tempting to think, well, you know, there's some other good stuff in this book. We'll just skip over this passage. But no, I really believe that everything in here, once we dig in deep and we go for it to look at the context and so on, that it is profitable for us. Sometimes it's an easy win. Sometimes when we're in the Bible, it's an easy profit. Sometimes it's easy to kind of pull out the goodness from it, to think, okay, this is how I need to apply it to my life. This is how I need to uh, change my thinking and my actions as a result of it. But sometimes a bit more digging is required. Sometimes we need to look into the context. We need to look at what has happened and what is going to happen. Sometimes we need to look into other passages that maybe refer to the same story uh, as we will do in a little while. Uh, Sometimes we need to look at the original language to kind of get uh, from it uh, all that that we can get from it. But it is worth the digging. And so in this series, I've really enjoyed this series. We've been in this series since September, and you might think, man, when are we going to move on from 1 Samuel? We're getting there soon. We've got a couple of special weeks, as uh, Matt has already referred to this morning. We've got next week, we've got uh, Adrian Holloway with us, who's a really gifted evangelist, speaks often at New Day, the uh, youth festival that uh, we send our young people to. He's going to come and encourage us next week. Following week, we've got Vision Sunday, but then we've got two more weeks of this series. It's been a long series. But whilst there's been so much good stuff that we've drawn out of this book and how we've seen it points to Jesus, how we've seen it, it really is is about the heart and how God wants our hearts. Whilst there's been so many good things that we've drawn out of it, what we've also been trying to demonstrate as we've worked through this book is that all of Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for us and that we don't just spend time in books that may be a little easier for us. So we might uh, you know, be tempted to think, well, we'll just spend time in the Gospels that talk about Jesus' life and teaching, or just in the letters written by the apostles, because maybe it's a little bit more easy for us to kind of you know, get things out from them for our life today. But in this series, as we've worked through this, and we've gone through it book by book, and it's been long, and I appreciate that, we're trying to demonstrate that even in really bizarre stories like this, 
that God would want to speak to us, that God would want to bring about change in our lives, not just in the books that are a little easier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, we see that these things were written for us, for us Christians, new covenant people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, these things happen, this is verse 11, these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So these, these verses that we're reading out together, they have been written down for us. They've been written down for those of us who are Christians today as an example. And we're to take heed lest we fall. It says, if you think, if you think you sta- you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, do you think you're standing firm this morning? Some of you in recent weeks, as this, as this series has uh, progressed, you thought, actually, no, there's some, there's some serious areas of my life where I, I'm not really obeying God and I need to get my thinking into line with God's thinking. But some of you, you may be thinking, I'm standing pretty firm right now. Well, let this story, as we unpack it together this morning, let this be a warning to you that if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Now, you might be thinking, Tom, I am not in danger of contacting mediums. That's not something that I'm tempted. I'm tempted in other ways, but I've never thought to myself at night, you know what? I really want to contact uh, someone that I once knew who's now dead. That may not be a temptation for you. But as we're going to see, as we look through this this morning, this is not that's not the, the main thing that's going on here. There's a sin beneath the sin here that we'll unpack together. Now, you might be thinking, it's 2018. Does anyone really, uh, does anyone really kind of get into these kinds of things these days? Come on, it's 2018. Uh, that is one of my pet hates, that phrase. When people uh, are trying to reason and argue, come on, it's 2018. Because that is actually, uh, it's, it's what's called chronological snobbery. It's that we think that we have reached some sort of height of understanding and uh, some sort of civilization in 2018 that actually we can say, do these things really, can we really get involved in these things? Come on, it's 2018 now. As if somehow we are going to be, we are the most advanced uh, people that have ever walked on the earth. You know, in 50 years' time, people are going to sneer at some of the things that we believed and some of the things that, as a society, we gave ourselves to. So we, we can't think that we've somehow, uh, you know, we've somehow reached civilization and these things now don't occur. Because actually, people do have an interest in these things today. I remember, um, as little as four years ago, working as a social worker and um, oftentimes over lunch break having deep conversations with colleagues as we were eating our donuts and comforting ourselves uh, with much junk food. And, uh, you know, I would sometimes speak about my faith and sometimes people would, would, would level uh, things at Christianity, just try and shut the conversation down a little bit. And one of my colleagues talked about the fact that she was visiting a fortune teller regularly. And it really wasn't looked at with derision. It was actually, people were fascinated. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more about this. What did you learn? What did they tell you about yourself? And I actually visited clients who would use uh, mediums to try and contact lost loved ones. This is 2018. 
among, in, a, in a supposedly rationalistic society where we only believe in, supposedly only believe in things that we can see and verify with science. This is happening uh, actually surprisingly regularly. And not only that, but people are thousands of people, and many that we, we know will look to horoscopes uh, for comfort in their life. Look in the tabloids, okay, what is, okay, what's it saying to me this week? What are the stars saying to me? To look for some reassurance in their life. I remember a few years ago before uh, Sarah and I had children, we uh, went to the pub with some of our friends just for a quiet drink, lovely country pub, just sat there and we thought, oh, let's, let's play the hand game. Now, does anyone know the hand game where you have to sort of tap on the table and it goes round the circle and triple tap means it sends it back the other way and it's all kind of a bit of a silly, silly game, really. Now, we were playing this game and then suddenly one of my friends said, hang on a minute, stop a minute, I've got a message, looking at their phone. And a lady came by, she said, look, I don't mind ghosts myself, but some of my customers are getting a bit weirded out that you're trying to do a seance here in my pub. And we were like, no, 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 we, re- we really aren't doing that. We're just playing a hand game. And one of our friends got a text message. We were really embarrassed. We had to tell her, we're Christians. We're not trying to do this kind of thing. We're just here for a quiet drink and it's just playing a silly game. But this is, it, for many, many people, this is not an abnormal thing. This is not something that is, uh, is looked upon with, with suspicion or ridicule. And you might be here this morning, you might be here this morning and kind of looking into these things for yourself. You might be hedging your bets a little bit. You might be thinking, I'm going to come to church, see if that will give me a measure of reassurance or comfort, but also I'm going to dabble in horoscopes or uh, in fortune telling because I, I want to know something about my life. I want to know what's going to happen to me in 10 years' time. Where will I be? What will I do? Who will I marry? Will I be rich? You might be looking uh, to, to kind of receive comfort from a loved one that you've lost, somehow uh, contacting them to see if they approve of your life or if they have anything to say to you. These things can seem attractive to some. But let me tell you this morning, if this is something that you are involved in, it is very dangerous. It is very dangerous. God's word has some serious things to say about uh, this kind of business. In Deuteronomy 18, God uh, describes fortune-telling and using mediums and so on as abominable, as evil, as disgusting, not to be dabbled in, because it's dangerous, because it's dangerous. The devil will use these things. He'll bait the hook with things that sometimes look innocent, oh, a little star sign here and there looking into, but actually it draws us into kind of fear it can become very controlling. It can become uh, really, really uh, all-encompassing for us as we, we're trying to seek reassurance, but it ends up to actually lead us into some really dark places. So if you're into this, let me encourage you to flee from this. And if you're struggling to do that, then let us help you in this. Let us help you to get free from this. God, he puts these boundaries in place because he's a good father. He really doesn't want us to get involved with these things. Don't hear me wrong here. There's not a a power struggle going on in the world whereby, you know, God might lose, that Satan might be victorious. You know, we've sung about it this morning. We've declared it together this morning. Death has been defeated. Satan is defeated. God is victorious. He will uh, one day destroy uh, Satan's sin and death once and for all. There's no sort of um, question about the outcome here, but there are forces of evil at work in the world. Ephesians chapter 6 calls them uh, forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And, and we mustn't open our lives up to their influence. We mustn't open our lives up to these things. Don't, don't go there. Don't get involved in the occult. If you know anyone who is involved in these things, appeal to them to flee from them. Because in seances, people aren't really contacting loved ones. They're communicating with demons. It's really, really dark stuff. Now, that's one thing I wanted to say about this passage. But the second thing is this. If you, maybe you're thinking, I, Tom, there's really no danger of me doing this. Okay, I'm really not going to go there. And I don't know anyone who is. So how, how is this relevant for me? Well, as I said earlier, there is a sin beneath the sin. Okay, so Saul has gone against God's word. He has contacted a medium. He's tried to uh, draw up uh, Samuel for his reassurance and solace. But there's a sin beneath the sin. And First Chronicles chapter 10, which kind of gives us sometimes like a, another perspective on some of these stories. It's like a, a parallel, really, that, that runs with First Samuel. It gives us a perspective on what's really gone on here. So in First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 to 14, it says this, Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. Some of your translations may say seeking reassurance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Now, to the observant amongst you, you might be thinking, I think I've seen a contradiction here in the scriptures. Because in the passage in 1 Samuel we've read together, it talks about David, um, it talks about Saul seeking guidance from God. It talks about him inquiring after God. And in this passage we've just read from 1 Chronicles, it says Saul didn't inquire after God. And you might think, contradiction alert here. We're in trouble here because Thomas just said that when understood correctly, the Bible's true in all that it affirms. Well, what's happening here? Well, we actually need to drill down into the original language, get a little technical, because in the Hebrew, there are two words for the word inquire. We have the word shal and the word darash. And I'll probably have a friend of mine who can speak this language uh, bring better, better um, pronunciation to me in the break. But shal means simply to ask, a simple, quick request. Darash means to intensely seek after and to search for. And the inquiry that we read about that uh, Saul made in verse 6 in, in Samuel chapter 28 was a shal inquiry of God. He didn't spend time on a darash inquiry. He didn't take time to hear from God, to repent of his wrongdoing, because he has, not just in this incident, in uh, trying to uh, conjure up a dead guy, he has over many, many uh, occasions disobeyed God. He didn't spend time to say, God, I turn away from my wrongdoing. He didn't spend time to wait on God's wisdom and a way forward. It wasn't like Psalm 51 where David, he's messed up in a big way and David then comes to God and says, have mercy on me, God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on, create in me a pure heart. That was the kind of, uh, that's the kind, the kind of inquiry of the Lord that Saul didn't make. He, he just, he simply wanted God to get him out of his mess. He simply, he didn't want God. He didn't want to know God. He didn't want to inquire after him and say, God, I've come to the end of myself. I've realized that I've been running uh, in disobedience to you. I realize that I've, I've, I've messed up and I need to change and I need you to help me. No, he just wanted God to get him out of the mess that he was in. 
He just wanted God to get him out of this battle or somehow come through for him like David uh, against, the, uh, against the giant Goliath. But ever since the day that Saul uh, disobeyed God with um, the destruction of the Amalekites, which was referred to in the passage we read, Saul has been stubborn, stubbornly refusing to get right with God. Stubbornly refusing to turn around and say, God, I have messed up here. Stubbornly refusing to say, God, I'm a broken man. Come and change me. He's been running headlong into his own plans. And now, when he's facing death, all, he's, all he wants is for God to get him out of a, a bad situation. He doesn't want to inquire of him, spend time with him. He doesn't want God. He just, want what, he just wants what God gives him. Again and again, Saul has shifted the blame for his wrongdoing. He did it in chapter 15. He said, it wasn't me that did it. It was the people they made me do it. He hasn't owned up to his sin. David had literally been on the run from Saul for years, but Saul had been on the run from God for many, many years. And it's gotten darker and darker. He gave one last thought to God, as someone who could be useful to him. But he didn't want to walk with God. It's a tragedy, really. A few chapters ago, when we sort of started to see um, Saul uh, going after David's life, throwing spears at him, he's a bit like a pantomime villain, isn't he? We're sort of booing and hissing. He's a bit like a naughty pirate in the background. But now it's just tragic. It's absolutely tragic. This guy is a broken man. God has turned his back on him. He has disobeyed God and he's ignored God from his life for so long. Listen, if that's the situation that you're in this morning, turn back. If you hear his voice this morning, don't harden your heart. Have a soft heart towards him. It might be in a secretive way. It might not be as spectacular as Saul, who for years has just done some crazy stuff. It might be secretive. It might be that in the secret place, you've just not been walking with God. And you kind of put on a front of, yeah, I'm going to come along to church and I'm going to get involved in some things, but... I don't really want to know God. And maybe you've thrown out a, a flare when uh, life's got difficult and you've said, God, help me sort this situation out. But really, you, you, your heart is not after him. Let me encourage you. Let me urge you. Don't harden your heart today. The writer to the Hebrews, he's, uh, whoever it was, in chapter 3, is talking about the, the, how the Israelites, as they left, they left Egypt, they were wonderfully freed from Egypt, saved, set free, and then they started to grumble as they were wandering around in the wilderness. <coughs> started to grumble, started to say, maybe life would be better for us back in Egypt. Really displeased God. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, it can be the same for us. Saved, set free, miraculously, God has dealt with our sin and all that separated us from him. And then we can sometimes start to think, maybe life would be better for me. Maybe life would be better for me in my old way of life. Maybe I, I'll turn back to some things that I once looked for. And the writer to the Hebrew says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Soften your heart. Repent. Turn around. To repent, to repent really means to, to turn away from the things that you've orientated your life around and to come and orientate your life around God, to make him the center Say, God, you're the one who is all satisfying. You're the one who really uh, has true life. I've sought out life in these things, but now, God, I, I turn away from that and I'm making you the center. That's what repentance means. It doesn't mean just saying sorry. It means saying, God, I recognize I 
have made other things the ultimate thing in my life. Don't harden your heart today. If you are in this place where you just know I've been on the run from God, before you ask God to put things right in your chaos, before you ask him and say, God, I'm sending up a flare here, my life's in a mess, make your life centered around him. That's what repentance looks like. He can fix the messy situation, but more than that, he wants to, he wants to fix where you've been uh, placing your worship. He really wants to bring us reassurance. We have a God who really wants to bring us reassurance. He wants to be a father who brings his children reassurance. Saul is he's seeking reassurance in a medium and in the person that this medium might be able to conjure up. God really wants to bring us reassurance. This story should in some ways shock us and startle us because this guy started well, didn't he? Saul started well. We saw that uh, as he took down Nahash, the evil guy, and he rescued the city. He started so well and for years did well. But now he is in a mess. It should shock us. This week, uh, Billy Graham passed away, age of 99. And I've, I've read a number of articles this week that have uh, tried to level some things at him to try and tarnish his reputation. But generally speaking, he had a long ministry without, without kind of scandal. And the, the reason why that was so unusual is that sadly so many of his peers, so many of his peers got embroiled in scandal, whether sexual or financial or otherwise. But Billy Graham, by all accounts, finished well. Saul didn't finish well. He didn't finish well. I want to be, that, I want to be someone who finishes well. I don't know how long I've got left, hopefully many, many more years, but I want to be someone who stays close to God, who doesn't let my heart go after other things. No doubt... Many, many times, Billy Graham faced pressure. Saul's facing enormous pressure here. You and I will face pressure. We'll face uh, work pressure. We'll face pressure where our job might be at stake, or we're facing deadlines, or we're facing marital pressure or financial pressure, all kinds of different things we might be facing. And the temptation comes in to seek reassurance elsewhere. Temptation comes in to seek reassurance from the bottle of wine in the cupboard, to seek reassurance from the computer game that you can play until you fall asleep, to seek reassurance from all kinds of different areas. Maybe that relationship you know, uh, I'm just going to text that person and they'll give me the pick-me-up that I need. They're, they're gonna, I can flirt with that person, that will do me a world of good, and that will sort me out, bring me reassurance. Listen, these things, they don't provide true and lasting reassurance. Isaiah says in chapter 8, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Why go to the dead when you can speak to the God of the living, when you can inquire of God, when you can get reassurance from God? Because there is one who died and who rose again and who has words for us uh, who has words of reassurance for us. There is one who has truly uh, spoken from beyond the grave, Jesus Christ. He's not a ghost. He doesn't come to us via a medium. He's a real person who has risen again. He says in Revelation chapter 1, Do not be afraid. I am, <clears throat> I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, now I am alive forever and ever. 
and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus comes, he comes to his followers after rising and he says, peace be with you, don't be afraid. We've got a saviour who wants to bring us reassurance. He wants to say to you, I am in control. I'm in control and you don't need to be afraid. Peace be with you. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I hold the, the keys of death and Hades. This is our God. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control and we don't need to be afraid. You might think, well, why should I bother praying to a God who's in control? Because he's going to just do what he wants anyway. Why would you pray to a God who's not in control? Why would you pray to a God who's not in control? God is in control. If you're, seek, if you're under pressure right now, seeking reassurance from all kinds of areas, they will not provide for you the reassurance you need. Jesus, his words will provide the reassurance you need. His presence will provide the reassurance you need. Seek him. Seek him. He's the one who really will come and comfort us when we're in, in the day of battle like uh, it was for Saul. Should we stand? I'd love to pray for us. I think it would be great if we could sing to close and, uh, and just lift up our situations to God. Father, we just right now just want to come to you and say we're sorry for the times that we have sought out other things for reassurance. I pray right now that you would help us to repent, Lord, where maybe for many, many months or years we've turned to other things when the pressure has gotten too much. Lord, we know that you and you alone provide true comfort, true reassurance. Lord God, we want to be those that inquire of you in the day of battle. We want to be those that turn to you, Lord God, that we really would uh, pursue you and spend the time being restored by you. Not just throwing out a flare and saying, God, get me out of this situation. But Lord, we want to be those that really inquire after you and spend time with you and receive the reassurance that comes from your word and from your presence with us by your spirit. Father God, help us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in you. I pray for anyone here, Lord, who may have gotten into some of these things that we've uh, spoken about this morning. I pray, God, for freedom to come. I pray, Father, that you would just arrest people's hearts right now, that they would see, I've got to flee from these things. These things have got to go from my life. God is the one who brings reassurance. I pray for anyone who may be like Saul, who for years has really been running from you, but maybe in a secretive way, maybe in a way that it's not obvious to others. I pray right now that you would, uh, you would just arrest people's attention, Lord, that we would not harden our hearts as we hear your voice, and that we would spend the time, however long it takes, Lord, we'd spend the time to sit in your presence and to get our lives back on track that we would repent, we would turn away from what we know to be wrong, and that we'd live lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.